Greetings in the name of Jesus. I am very glad and honored that you listen to this recording, our podcast for this Sunday. Thank you for your prayer and improved health that I'm able to prepare my sermon for today. Today's meditation is divinely equipped, and this is taken from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, and I entitled this, The Most Precious Promise of a Shared Life. The Most Precious Promise of a Shared Life. And to begin, I will read the passage. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us, through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, by which have been given to us, exceeding great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers, or partner, associate, comrade, and a companion of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through us. So the first part here in these verses is verse 1, God's part. We obtain like precious faith through the righteousness of God and of Jesus our Lord. And uh, this is talking about the ones who receive it are the sinners who are born again. Of course, in John 3.16, on God's part, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and His condition, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so this is further explained in Romans 10.17, So that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So God gave His word. And then in Romans 10.8-10, But what does it say? Or what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with heart confession is made unto salvation. And so last Sunday we emphasize this. The word of faith. Again, we have to put faith in the provision of God. And our two conditions in these few verses, it says, For with a heart man believeth unto righteousness. And we use the illustration of marriage. Marriage is a union of two lovers. And it is in their heart that they love each other. And the other is convinced that the other loves him or her. And so, what happens, what seals that uh, relationship? And with a mouth, confession is made. Just two words. Do you take this man to be your wedded husband, to heaven to hold, and maybe the other one? Do you take this woman to be your wedded wife, to heaven to hold? And the response are just two words, I do. And after which, the minister says, I pronounce you man and wife. It is not the beauty of the church or the largeness of those attending the wedding or the bridal clothes, both 
bride and groom, uh, their wedding clothes, or the banquet that will be prepared. Some are very elaborate and very immense. It's not based on that. The party is just pronounced men and wife. Based on those two words, each one would say, I do. And so, in the case of Jesus Christ, when he was nailed to the cross, he said, I do, that he was the Savior and Redeemer of all sinners. Now we the lost sinners, if we, the God, having heard the gospel of faith, believe in him, then we confess with our mouth. What? No. We not confess our sins. This verse talks about we confess with our mouth, Jesus is our Lord. Or the woman will confess, he will take his man to be his wedded husband. Or he will confess and say, I, I take care to be my wedded wife. And then so in Ephesians 8-9, again furthermore about this matter of faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So by grace alone we receive the faith and we receive the salvation from God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And so the sinner has a cause of rejoicing. Praise God. Praise God. I am now freed from judgment. I am free from corruption. I am now a child of God. Now, verse 2 gives men's part. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. We grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So 1 Peter 2.2 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Being born again, we are babes in Christ. And we drink or desire the sincere milk of the word. So it is very essential as believers we desire the sincere milk of God's word. And in John 7:37-39, in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture had said, out of his inner being with his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit which they believe in him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not glorified. That was when he said it. So he said, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. A person who is born again, a real child of God, will thirst for the Word. He will want to read the Bible. He will want to spend time with God and just fellowship with God. And so Second Peter 3.17, Ye therefore, beloved, Seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Being born again by the grace of God, we start as babes in Christ. We will grow into more grace as we grow in our experiential knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is why private meditation on God's Word is essential. Further growth can happen in group Bible studies, in the Sunday school, and in church. As time allows, we have Christian programs in TV that can help us grow. 
according as His divine power had given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness, to the knowledge of Him that He called us to glory and virtue. That is 2 Peter 1.3. To the knowledge of Him. Again, we see the emphasis of knowing Jesus. He only is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him alone. This was demonstrated specifically in the New Testament. The Christians and all apostles prayed to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ alone. To no one else's name, not even Mary, nor their fellow apostles, nor the early saints or believers. Only prayed in the name of Jesus. Now, as His divine power had given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, it is obvious here that His divine power refers to God the Father. Had given is a present perfect tense, meaning that is already done. All things that pertain to life and godliness, very complete provision for our physical life and godliness, a spiritual life, all-inclusive, both physical and spiritual, called us to glory and virtue. To God be the glory. Praise God. As we go to verse 4, it will explain this further. We are called to glory and virtue. So how does verse, verse 4 read? Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through us. The first part of this verse 4 is very exciting enough to it, given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Who can fathom the depth, the height, the width, and the value of the exceeding great and precious promises? Shall we take this lightly? This is how God values His promises. They are now available to us. Hallelujah! And we have the Bible, we have His Word, and the Holy Spirit speaking to us through the, His Word, the Bible. The Bible is called the Sword of the Spirit. Hallelujah! We are not alone walking in the dark. The Lord is with us, has given us His Word. And so, in about 1930, a lady got concerned for retired missionaries. She was also a senior citizen. She fasted and prayed for God to provide the money for retirement home. One day, a company of oil drillers secured, secured her permission. They were right. They discovered abundance of oil. In their, her excitement, she asked God for about $500,000 of oil. You know, it's just an oil well and it's not, lim- it's not unlimited. So anyway, that was a very large amount in those days, 1930s, right? Sure enough, they kept on pumping the oil. When she was told that the oil well had dried, she had received the amount she prayed for. Then she regretted that she had limited God. She felt that God would have given her more if he just had the faith. God is great, and his precious promises are without limit. Nevertheless, the retirement home for Alliance missionaries still operates in Santa Ana. It is more than a retirement home. It is also the hospice section and fully equipped hospital in the same large property. The building is all interconnected. 
And so from one, then when there's a available room, they're moved to another until the, per, the missionary, and it's not only alliance. Now other missionaries for different groups go there. And daily, the missionaries gather and pray for world missions. Different leaders, they're all mostly missionaries. Hallelujah. And what a wonderful dream to come true. Not only are God's promises without limit, but the objective or purposes of these promises are much greater. That through these, God's promises, you may be partakers of the divine nature. Wow. Praise the Lord. In this provision, we'll be partaking of the divine nature. To be a partaker of the divine nature is not to be divine as God. The Greek word means, according to the Strong's Concordance and Dictionary, a partner, associate, comrade, companion. How will we understand this? First of all, we have the authority of God through Jesus Christ because we all believers have become children of God. John 1.12, but as many as receive him, to them gave you the right authority, power to become children of God, even to them that believe in his name. Hallelujah. We are partners. We are members of the family of God. Secondly, Jesus calls us brethren. In Hebrews 2.12.11, For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Hallelujah! Again, he is not only our Lord and our Savior, he calls us his brethren. Has it dawned on you that God has given his great and precious promises? Open up our hearts and realize, hallelujah, we are children of God. And Jesus calls us brothers and sisters. Thirdly, in Hebrews 3.1, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, considered apostle and high priest of profession, Christ Jesus. Again, we are partakers of the heavenly calling, like Apostle Paul and the priest of our profession and Jesus Christ himself. We are partakers of the heavenly calling. Fourthly, in 1 Corinthians 12.27, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Hallelujah! As a member of the church, we are part of the body of Christ. We are members of His body. Hallelujah! We are not just a nobody. We are somebody in the body of Christ. We'll talk more about the different parts of the body of Christ. And finally, fifthly, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Hallelujah! I am not just a nobody. My body, I may not be as maybe those in Hollywood or the actors. No. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Why? He dwells in us. Hallelujah. And therefore, we are part, the partner with God. And the continuing of the verse 4, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That was yesterday. According to John 15, 3, now you're clean to the word 
which I've spoken unto you. We are cleansed. We are purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. In first, in John 17, 17, Sanctify them to thy truth. Thy word is truth. Praise the Lord. We are purified. We are sanctified. We are made holy through the truth. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. As we read the word of God, the blood of Christ is applied to us. Psalm 199. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to thy word. Hallelujah. That's why very, very essential that we read God's word and ask the Holy Spirit to explain it to us. We have to make the catch the message for today. And by that, we are guided. Then we can say with David in Psalm 23, 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He leadeth me. Yes, He leadeth along God's word. And finally in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What a wonderful life. I am not living by my faith. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Why? The Holy Spirit's in me. God is in me by the person of the Holy Spirit. And by the faith of the Son of God, He shows me how much He loved me and how Jesus gave Himself for me. What a life of rejoicing. Hallelujah. Now, we are following Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 19, the free seed, this is just the fourth chapter of the book of Matthew. And when he first saw, when he saw his first four disciples, Andrew, Peter, James, and John, and he calls them. He said unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. He told them to leave their mundane endeavor to learn from Jesus Christ. It's not wrong to have our mundane work, our employment, but some of us are called to become preachers, teachers of God's word. And on this, they became apostles. But together with the apostles, we have our role, but we can serve God. And then, follow me. That means learn from me, my lifestyle, my dealing with others, my closeness to the Father. Jesus exposed himself daily for three and a half years. It was not just lecture, this is how you live and what you do. No, they saw from him how he lived, how he dealt with others and his closeness to the Father and how very early in the morning he would disappear and he would be in communion with the Father and in prayer. And also learn how to teach God's word. Jesus was quoting from the Old Testament and really updating correcting the people in their wrong misunderstanding of God's word. They were only going by the literal, but not by the spiritual depths. And you'll find this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. How powerful Jesus taught God's word and 
One said, no one spoke like these men. And then he wants us to join him in ministering to the needs of the people. He walked around. He didn't try to convince them to become his disciple. He healed them. He fed them. Oh, what a wonderful Savior. He was concentrating more on the twelve that he had called to become his apostles. And he said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. That is Christ's main mission. While he came to earth, it was discipleship. So number one, Jesus called the apostles by name. He called them by name. Secondly, Jesus trained them in three and a half years, approximately three and a half years. That was his ministry. Thirdly, Jesus taught them by example and the use of the scriptures. Hallelujah. And it was just flowing through him. He was not holding uh, the scroll or pieces of the text. No, it was flowing from his heart. And then number four, Jesus did not train them to replace the Levites in the temple service. Now this is a different thing. He called them to be his apostles, his disciples. Not for working in the temple to replace the Levites. Or number five, Jesus did not train them to replace the scribes and Pharisees. No, they were not trained to take power, to become prominent there among the Israelites. No, they were the voice of God. Number six, Jesus did not train them to lord over the people. Oh, he showed to them how he was a servant and the apostles were also to be servants. Jesus did not specify methods of evangelism or discipleship. It's not wrong to have classes on evangelism and discipleship. Then we can learn from God's word how Jesus did it. Because we are not walking with Jesus today for three and a half years. Now, if you talk about three and a half years, sometimes 365, that's over a thousand days. And so, divided by 52 weeks in a year, it's almost a lifetime that Christians are supposed to be disciples, to learn what Jesus taught, to learn how Jesus lived, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're not, we are not supposed to memorize certain methods of evangelism. But again, the people we meet and we share God's word are different. And so we will have to know and be ready, just like they're called tools. A carpenter has different tools to do a different job. And so we have these tools of evangelism. Jesus did not give them a manual, but he showed it to them. And number eight, Jesus breathed into the 13, the Holy Spirit. Well, what is this? How did Jesus breathe into the 13 in the upper room on the evening after he resurrected? Why 13? Were they not only 11? Because Jesus, Judas had already left. And by the time, maybe he's already dead. Why 13? Maybe let's be reminded, there were two who had walked to Emmaus, who were not part of the apostles. And they joined to give report to the eleven 
about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he, they, these two were together with eleven. And so in John 20, 19 to 23, 19 to 23, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in their midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father had sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted and unto, unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. It's not they had the power to declare a person saved, but as they planted the word of God in their heart, the entrance of the word giveth light. The word will not return unto me void, but it will accomplish that word to they sent it. Either they, as they believe, they'll be saved, or if they don't, they will be judged. And number nine, Jesus directed them as to expect the feeling of the Holy Spirit ten days after the resurrection was the Feast of Pentecost. In Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Jesus did not tell them to memorize the methods or order them how to say it. The Holy Spirit will come and they will be empowered. And so in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18-20, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And you and me are under orders to make disciples of others. As your pastor, it is my responsibility to train you as disciples outside the church. I have other individuals I'm also discipling just to fulfill this great commission. It is not a great company of people listening, and some of them, they're groups of 10, they're groups of six, or sometimes just one. I am discipling them to fulfill this great commission. Now, lastly, God's workshop for believers. God is working when believers come to Him. In Ephesians 2.10, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before ordained that we should walk in them. So, God is working in us to become workers, good works. He's preparing us. In Philippians 1.6, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it. Being born again is just the beginning. Growing grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ is now the second step. But we have to grow further to do work for the Lord, do the service that He has prepared for us. And so what is our service? What is our role? We find it in Ephesians 4.11. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, 
for the edifying of the body of Christ, or that's the church, until we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Look at that. In the church, we are supposed to grow into perfection by the work of God unto the measure or the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow! The job order for us for one another to minister to one another is high the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and cared about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lay in wait to deceive but speaking the truth in love may grow up unto, unto him in all things who is the head even the church from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplier, according to the effect of working in the nature of every part, make it increase of the body unto the defying of itself in love. What is God's workshop? It's the church, where we together with the gifts that God has given to us. Do not compete with each other. Not, we don't try to outshine one another. We minister to one another in the ministry, uh, in prayer for each other, and seeing the need we have. And we don't criticize, we offer help. We give wisdom, and as the Spirit will lead, together we can work. And it says, a defying of itself in love. Hallelujah. That is the temperature of the church that we should work. Speaking the truth in love may grow up, according to verse 15, may grow up unto him in all things, who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by which every joint supplier. How can we be fitly joined together? Do we know each other by the first name? Do we know our background? Do we spend time to know them? Or is it a church that is a high buy? Sometimes we don't even know that we had met in the church. This is a problem in a big congregation. They don't know. Maybe, of course, in big congregations, they have their small groups. And the small groups, they build up this fellowship. It's almost impossible to get to know intimately everybody in a large church. We have different interests, different schedules, but those are similar. They join together in small groups. Then we can implement this program in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. And in conclusion, I'll give you the last passage here. In 1 Peter 5.10 But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, established, strengthen and settle you. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah. Do this work of the Holy Spirit. God bless all of you.